welcome to another episode of Shades Midweek, a podcast where we talk about theology, culture, and all things Shades. I am John Mark Darrow in the studio once again with my good friends Brad Brown and Jonathan Hafes. It is a Tuesday afternoon while we were recording this. I'm just excited to be here right now, all three of us together. What a great day it's been so far. It has been a good day. I've had a good day. I've had a lovely day. You have had a little <laughs> a lovely day. You having trouble over there, Brad? Woke up at four thirty a.m., so this is going to be a struggle. <laughs> I don't have kids. So I'm not used to that. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, it's fine. It's fine. Hey, did a great job teaching the uh, the pastoral discipleship group this morning. Oh, thank you, Jonathan. That's why. That's why I wanted to let everybody know. That's why I was up. At four thirty, because we have a we have a six a.m. pastoral discipleship group. Well, I'm normally up at four thirty for prayer. Right, of course, of course, fasting. Right. Two and, two or three hours of reading the Bible yes. and prayer. That's what all pastors do. If, if those of you that don't know that, well, we have still a lot of things going on here at Shades right now, and do so we, much going on. Do we want to mention a couple of them real quick at the we, start of this episode? We probably should. I I want to say just. We had our worship night this past weekend, and it was yes. awesome. We had a great turnout. Yes. We did worship night in the parking lot on Friday night. Shout out to Glenn Wall for Glenn Wall. Uh, just doing all the sound. Ooh. I know he probably doesn't listen to the podcast, but somebody <laughs> tell him that we gave him a shout yes. out. And he brought some lights. The lights looked beautiful. It was a re- it was a great night. Some people got up and shared and prayed and read some scripture. I mean, I don't know what the turnout was, but some people were in their cars. Some people brought their lawn chairs and and hung out. It was it was awesome. I really really enjoyed it. Yeah, it was yeah. it was really it was awesome to get to see um s- some people that we haven't been able to see since March. You know, right. some people who who haven't been able to come on Sundays because they have little kids or um or people who you know feel more comfortable in an outdoor environment. So it was just it was just so good to get to see some people. Um, that we haven't seen in forever. So thank you to everyone for coming. And we're hoping to do a lot more outdoor things uh, yes. this fall so we can hopefully keep uh, rekindling <laughs> some community and, and getting to see each other. So, Brad, what's our next outdoor thing? I believe that our next outdoor event is Sack Lunch Sunday, correct? That, yes. Yes. Yes, that's it. Whew. All right. I uh, put you on the spot. We don't have a list of announcements in front of us. Oh, <laughs> there is I, no list. I meditate on these announcements day and <laughs> day and night. We're just depending on memory. Yes. Uh, September twenty seventh, Sunday. September twenty seventh. Look at you. Look at you. Got a date. Yes. 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 Uh, immediately following the service, we will all take food to Patriot Park. If you do not want to. Wake up and cook food and bring it with you to the service. You can go get takeout. That's fine. Don't let that be the reason you don't come. I know there's some of you out there that are like, there's no way that I'm going to make food for my entire family and then take it across (laughs) the park. They are crazy. (laughs) Takeout is an option, okay? I'm just throwing that out there. Uh, You can get that. You just bring a blanket, maybe some chairs. Hopefully, the temperature will not be the surface of the sun. (laughs) Hopefully, it will be cool. During that time, it's it's supposed to start cooling off at least next week. Next week's supposed to be really cool. Yes, and if you're someone that's going to come to the 4:30 p.m. service, you can still come to this. You don't have to come to the service. Absolutely. If you're someone that's watching the live stream, like y- you can still come if you feel comfortable being outside. Yeah. You know, it's Six a park. Feet apart. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you can bring a blanket. You're uh, to sit on your lawn chairs. We can social distance. So yes. we just. 
we want it to be another opportunity for people to be able to see one another and interact with each other. So that's the next one coming up, and we'll have a lot more things to talk about later this fall. Speaking of a 4.30 service, yeah, we had a, something happen this past weekend. We did. Yeah. Well, you want to share that with us, Jonathan? What happened this this past Sunday? What did we do that was new here at Shades? Oh, well, <laughs> for, the, for the first time since any of us have been here, uh, we had two services on Sunday. Wow. So Yeah. So we had the 1030 a.m., our, our normal service. And, and there was something new at the 1030. We had our first outdoor kids Sunday school class. Yes. Yep. Uh, for ages K, 4 through 3rd grade. And it went really, really well. Shout out to the McBrides. Absolutely. Yep. They did just phenomenal job. Um, and then shout out to John Kegley and William Ashley for putting yes. up like – eight or nine pop-up tents so they were yes. in the shade. And especially oh. William Ashley because we can't make him do that. You know? <laughs> John, we're proud of you, but, you know, this is your job. But William Ashley volunteered. Yeah. yeah. I, I saw them right before the service started, and they were both just pouring just sweat. Just drenched. Yeah. Yes. Oh. The Lord sees you, Will. Yeah. But... Yeah, but so yeah, that was awesome. And then we we came back at four thirty and did it all again. And we had um, there was about there was about eighty of us in the morning and about forty yeah. of us in the in the evening. And one of the reasons we've gone to that two services is because it, if you put those together, obviously that's a hundred and twenty ish people, which is about max. That's about the most we can put in our sanctuary and still be able to social distance. So by going to the two services, we're hoping to provide more room for people to be uh, to be able to spread out so we can meet safely and and to provide more room for other people who may be wanting to start coming back but they they're just like man that the room I think is too crowded hopefully this frees yes. up some space for that yeah in the afternoon service there were what about 40 people yeah. including staff and everyone just to give right. you an idea of what to expect yeah, if yeah. you're considering coming to that absolutely absolutely yeah so if you'd like to RSVP for that for the, either of those services, you can find that on our website, shadesvalley.org. If you, there's like a scrolling banner with different images when you go to our homepage, and you should be able to click a link right there on the homepage, and it will take you to another page where you can click a link. <laughs> or if you are on Once the, you start doing it, it's really easy. It's really you can easy. Do it, I promise. If you're on the it's realm. It's like if, an Apple product. Exactly. If, you're exactly. On, if you're on the realm, you can access it there as well. So there's yes. multiple places where you can access, but um, RSVPing just helps us know you know kind of generally what to expect for the morning and afternoon services in terms of numbers uh so that we can you know make make everything comfortable in the room on sunday mornings so yeah absolutely and and if you forget to rsvp please still come yeah you can still come yes <laughs> yes uh, <laughs> yes however uh if you want your children to attend that sunday morning uh sunday school class outdoor sunday school class Space is limited for that, so you you do have to sign your kiddos up for that. And you can do that on the website as well, in the same way that John Mark just described. Yep. So, well, now that we have thoroughly bored everyone to tears <laughs> with just kind of announcements and such, maybe we should start doing those at the end. Yeah. Okay. Housekeeping. No, well, then definitely then no one would listen no for sure. Well, let's get to you the know? thing that everyone really wants to know. Yes, our second piece of business. Yes, and that is. John Mark, a few weeks ago, you and I emphasize you. I don't. I don't know who you're talking about. <laughs> called for the naming of this studio that we are sitting in right now. Yeah. And uh, yeah. and we've been delaying announcing the name. So yeah, you ready to announce it for us? Actually, I've got to go real quick. 
Um, so you guys can just finish the episode without me, and I'll see you tomorrow. Actually, what what we've got what classic we, nine. What, what, what <laughs> we, did I make that enneagram joke right? Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that was good. good. Good job. What we've got is uh, we've kind of narrowed it down really to a concept, um, and we've got three versions of that for you. So, John Mark, you want to you want to tell everybody what it is? Yeah, so the concept is, like I said, I think it was two episodes ago, I was thinking through some different ideas, and I was like, okay, 1991 really stuck out because that was the year that Shades Valley Community Church was founded, and so to name this studio space after that, which is a studio space, is also my office. <laughs> and so, um, this is true. <laughs> but to kind of give it that name, uh, I, I just liked it. I liked recognizing just where we came from. I mean, obviously, none of us were here when it was founded, uh, but just that you know the church has deep roots. It's uh, next year will be twenty years, I guess, right? So uh, 30, or 30, thirty years. Gosh, yeah. wow, yeah, man. So I'm bad at math. It's getting on so, up there. Yeah, so that was kind of the idea. So we were trying to run with that as a name and come up with some different options. So we have three options, and uh, I think we're going to do an Instagram poll with these three options. Hopefully. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just to kind of see what happens there. Yeah, we're gonna do Instagram poll. Not committing to Shades actually, Valley. Shades Valley. Not committing to Instagram. actually go with whatever's chosen. But right. Yep. All right. It's so just to get a feel. So yes. The three options are the 1991. Yep. That's, that's option, a good. That's a good that's one. One solid. Option two is 1991 Studios. Okay. And option three is 1991. <laughs> oh, just 1991. <laughs> yes. So, uh, so yeah, those will be coming your there's way. There's a lot. There's a lot to think about. Hey, real quick, shout out to Luke Demarco, uh, who sent us some artwork just for fun. Oh, that's right, <laughs> Luke Demarco, dedicated listener. We have a few dedicated listeners that I know of. Luke, I forgot to respond to your text. Them. I'm so sorry. Oh man. <laughs> no, oh, that was so awesome. Boy. Yeah. yeah, he he made some he just did some fun uh logos for us uh which we're not going to use any of the names <laughs> that he sent us but thank you Luke for for that. Oh. It was inspiring. Yeah. It made me feel good. It's like, okay, things are moving. Yeah. Yeah, and things to, are going. To think of the tens of listeners that are out there, it just <laughs> it reminds me why we do what we do. Let me just say real quick, for those that do listen, thank you so much for supporting. And I was checking our Podbean statistics earlier. We have over 3,200 plays total. Wow. That's awesome. So we have, this is episode 31. So if you're good at math, you can figure out how many <laughs> downloads that we're, is per episode. We're in a room average. of pastors. <laughs> I bet Joseph Wonski. You can yeah. figure that out. It's a good thing that we're about to spend the rest of this talking about numbers. <laughs> What That's a great right. segue. What, what a, a great segue. A great segue. Yes. So this past Sunday, we reached the halfway point through the revelation. Woohoo! So how are you guys feeling? Jonathan, how are you feeling about the series? Oh, my goodness. Um, that was a pretty easy message on Sunday. Yeah, right? yeah it was super simple. Um I have I have mixed feelings. <laughs> and now you know I know there are pastors that would say that they would never preach through Revelation. And now being halfway through it, do you think they are wise or yes. are they missing out on something? <laughs> no, um, yes and yes. <laughs> yeah, no, like it's um, it's been good. It's been good for me personally, for my own soul. Um, but you know. I mean, I'd be lying if I didn't say it's it's been a really hard 
journey as well. It just, yeah, uh, yeah it just requires uh, a lot, uh, both in study and then in trying to write it. Is is write each sermon is really difficult because there's just there's just so much. Yeah, why is it so challenging? Well, like so when you. When I was preaching through the Gospel of John, when when you preach narrative or something like that, often it's it's pretty simple to, if you've got a very large passage, choose what you're going to focus on and emphasize. Not every detail in the text begs for explanation, mm-hmm. you know. So you you can spend a lot of your time focused on kind of these main ideas, main portions, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, Revelation everything in the text begs for explanation and it it is almost impossible to focus on the main point unless you've explained everything else surrounding it so there's just uh, almost everything requires comment and then on top of that revelation itself is written in such a way that it it demands to be preached in larger chunks mm. so yeah we've had some long readings yeah <laughs> Yeah, so like this past Sunday was two chapters, right? It was all of chapter 10 and virtually yeah. all of chapter 11. But that's because they go together, and to really get the full picture of what's happening, you've got to tackle the whole thing. Yeah. Um. And so, I mean, you could break it down and do like three or four sermons in chapter 10 and three or four sermons in chapter 11, and and it would definitely loosen up, you know, um, the amount of, of what you're trying to do in yeah. any given section, but you'd also kind of lose the forest for the sake of examining the trees so closely. Mm. So, yeah, so it just, there's a couple of things particularly that make it challenging. Um, but and, and then just the breadth of diversity of opinion. So when you're studying, just to get a lay of the land of kind of how people have been approaching this thing uh, throughout time, throughout the history of the church, it, it just takes a lot just to even kind of feel like you've got a handle on, on what's going on before you're even mm. trying to think through what you're what you think is the right interpretation. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So well, there are a lot of things that kind of make it difficult, but overall it's been good. How's it been for you guys? Y'all have had to sit through it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. JM, what do you think? Yeah. Nice honesty. No, it's it's been really great for me. I mean, Revelation is definitely one of those books where, uh, like you said, there's a, there's a litany of opinions that you can find. Right, for sure. And... So I think being able to walk through it the way that we have, how many sermons have there been now that we've done? Oh man, I mean, it's been since yeah. So uh, after Easter, oh, I'd have to count it up in my head. Um, but so we've we've been through eleven chapters. There's been close to sixteen. Yeah, close to sixteen or seventeen sermons because we did all seven churches one sermon apiece. Mm-hmm. Chapter two had two sermons. I mean, chapter one. Sorry, chapter one had two sermons. So that's nine. Uh, and then chapter four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and then 10 and 11 went together. So that's eight plus nine, 17. Wow. Should be 17 yeah. sermons, I think. I, I really have thoroughly enjoyed it. You can it. totally cut that out if you want to. <laughs> no one's going to want to sit there and listen to me like add up in my head. That's okay. That's part of listening to this podcast. Oh. No, I've it's it's been awesome. I've been so um, surprised and encouraged at how powerfully the Book of Revelation speaks into our current moment. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, and so, you know, we haven't spent the series staring at graphs and charts and coming up with wild scenarios. I mean, we've That's been... That's what this podcast episode's for, Brad. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be hard to do these charts on a podcast episode. I'm just going to describe them to you. <laughs> That's what the next four hours is going to be. There's Jonathan walking us through charts and numbers. It's going to be like a beautiful mind up in here. Oh, my gosh. Um, okay. But, I mean, seriously, uh, seeing how powerfully the book of Revelation speaks to our current moment, seeing how it gives us a heavenly perspective of, of what's happening. Um, often the church can look like it's a train wreck from within. <laughs> and then uh, from the outside, the, tr- the church looks so powerless and mm. that it has no influence. And to get the heavenly perspective that Revelation offers has been so encouraging and yeah, the, the Lord has ministered to me through this series for sure. Mm. Yeah. So today, I, I think what we want to do, unless we've changed our minds since we've <laughs> since we've started, is since we've basically been going long enough for this to be an episode. <laughs> right. <laughs> is is Jonathan Jonathan reference, you know, there's a lot um that he comes across in his studies and there's a lot to unpack when walking through uh these texts in this book. And so there's a lot that doesn't make it into the, the final cut, if you will. There's a lot that doesn't make it. A lot hits the editing room floor. To Sunday morning. Cutting room floor. And what happens is Jonathan walks into my office and goes, dude, you got to listen to all these things that I wasn't <laughs> able to, to include. And I'm like, man, that's awesome. I wish people could hear about these things because these things are really cool. And so I, we want to give Jonathan the space to be able to talk about uh, some of these things that he came across in a study but wasn't able to flesh out in the sermon because, unfortunately, we don't have three-hour sermons on Sunday. Yeah, Sundays, this is so. like the director's cut. Yeah, that's Ooh. definitely... That's definitely uh, this is man, like behind-the-scenes bonus Should that be the title footage? for the Maybe podcast? So. Maybe so. I love how you said, unfortunately, we don't have three-hour sermons. <laughs> there who, was, who a, was, there was a time yeah. in church history. Yeah, who, weren't you the one that told me? About the uh, was it was oh. it Puritan preacher? Oh, it was that a Puritan guy that, preacher that stands up. Yes. <laughs> Do you remember the it was quote? Puritan, you tell that story? Puritan preacher that was preaching for like three hours. And dude, I thought it was longer than that. Maybe not. Maybe it was seven hours. It was a long time, bro. It was several hours. He had been preaching. Um, I can't remember. Do y'all remember the exact quote? He says something to the effect, like he comments on how long he's been preaching, and basically yes. says he's he's near it's concluding. Like it's been seven hours. I'm near concluding. And this gentleman stands up in the audience and goes, like, for God's sakes, man, go on, or something like that. Well, there you go. That was, that was totally free. If that could happen once in my life, as I'm concluding a sermon, someone stands up and goes, for God's sakes, Brad, go on. I have anxiety dreams where everybody walks out while I'm preaching. <laughs> anyway, okay, so what I thought we would do is um, just talk about three things. Um, mm-hmm. Two of them are, are I mean, uh, I was going to say two of them are just kind of cool. Uh, but, <laughs> I mean, they're all actually important. Um, but, like we said, you don't have time for everything. So. Right, right, right. So, but the first two are kind of just kind of cool. And then the, the third one, I think, um, is, is a little bit more involved. So, here we go. We'll just dive into them. So, the first one is coming right out of the gate in chapter 10 and verse 1. And in chapter 10, we get this vision of this mighty angel, right, that's going to deliver the scroll uh, to John, the unsealed scroll that we saw all the way back in chapter 5. 
And there's some really cool stuff going on that we didn't get to look at, specifically with the way this angel is described. And what's happening here is we're starting to get some wilderness imagery. Uh, wilderness imagery being, what, what, what I mean by that is, if you remember in the Old Testament, Moses leads the people out of slavery in Egypt, and they end up in the wilderness, where mm-hmm. they wander around in the wilderness for 40 years. Yep. Um, well, that gets picked up in a lot of ways in the New Testament to talk about the Christian life, like the paradigm for what it means to be saved by God, what salvation looks like. The, the paradigm is the Exodus. Just like the people were enslaved, you know, we're enslaved to sin, and just like they were saved uh, by God via Moses and taken out, you know, through the Red Sea, we're saved and uh, uh, by Christ, our mediator, and baptism even gets compared to going through the waters of the Red Sea at one yeah. point. Yeah, it's so beautiful. And, and then we live our lives on a journey, being led by Christ, one could say, through the wilderness of this world. And we are on our way to our own promised land. We are on our way to the promised land of the new heavens and the new earth. So that paradigm already exists, like within the New Testament itself, but that language is really going to get picked up and start being used a lot in Revelation. So we'll reference this Mm. in future weeks, but it's already appearing right here. And one could make the argument it's actually already appeared, but we haven't got to get to it. So anyway, so here's, here's where it is. Just verse one, then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head, and his face was like the sun, and his legs like pillars of fire. The imagery that's being used right here is that he's wrapped in a cloud, and his legs are like pillars of fire. And if you think back to the Exodus, and you think back to the wandering through the wilderness, this is the way that the people of God were led through the wilderness. Mm. Um, Cloud by day and Fire by night. Yeah. Pillar, pillar of fire. fire by night. And so Pillar this, Christian band, by the way. Is that <laughs> one just in case? Shout out to them. And so this uh this yeah is is that imagery. This is what leads them through the wilderness. And so that kind of sets us up, tips us off. This angel is perhaps delivering something that is going to help to guide us through uh, the wilderness of this world, which is exactly mm-hmm. what we saw unfold in the scroll. Hmm. Well, this is not the only wilderness imagery. We don't just get it at the beginning of chapter 10. We get it again at the beginning of chapter 11. So if you look at the beginning of chapter 11, we're not going to discuss the details of this temple vision in uh, in detail because we did that on Sunday. But at the end of verse 2, you know, where John says, do not measure the outer court outside the temple. Leave that out for it's given over to the nations and they will trample the holy city for 42 months. We're going to spend a lot of this episode here in just a second, the remainder of it, talking about the 42 months, which is also referred to as 1,260 days. It's also referred to as time, times, and half a time. Um, I made an argument on Sunday that all of that is in reference to the church age. But why 42 months right here? Why specifically refer to it that way? Um, because what's interesting is all of this three and a half language mm-hmm. comes out of the book of Daniel. And in the book of Daniel, it gets referred to as time, times, and half a time. It gets referred to basically as the last half of a week, so three and a half. It gets referred to as 1,200 and technically 90 days. That has to do with the differences between a solar and lunar calendar, but that's neither here nor there. Anyway, so the <laughs> 1,260 days. Um, Director's cut! <laughs> and uh, But it never gets referred to as 42 months. That's unique mm. to John right here. It's, it's the same time period, but it's a different way of talking about it. Well, the Israelites were actually in the wilderness for 42 years. 
we normally just talk about 40. But they were in the wilderness for two years leading up to the time when they disobey and get sentenced by the Lord to wander for 40 years. So total, they're there for 42 years. Uh. And not only that, if you go back to Numbers chapter 33, it's thrilling reading. I'm sure you would love it. Um, (laughs) But Numbers 33 traces their entire journey throughout those 42 years. And it's like, and we made camp here, and then we went here and made camp here, and then we went here and made camp here. But if you count the... It's actually my life verse. (laughs) If you count the encampments, uh, there are 42 encampments. And so 42 became a way of referring to the wilderness wanderings. And so this is more wilderness imagery right here. You know, this this image of the temple uh, we talked about on Sunday is, is communicating that the church during the church age will be spiritually mm-hmm. protected but will face um, the dangers of persecution mm-hmm. in this world. Mm-hmm. So during our wilderness wanderings where we are being given guidance for how we're to go through that, uh, we are going to be spiritually protected. We will make it to the promised land, but we're going to face many dangers along the way as well. And so it's just mm. beautiful imagery yeah. already being brought to the forefront, and it's going to get really explicit next week in chapter 12. Hmm. So that was thing number one. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> one of the things that I love about the entire series is really just being able to make all the connections that you were just talking about, going back to Exodus, Daniel, you know, different books of the Bible. Um, and it is kind of like that you, Brad, you were joking about a beautiful mind graph earlier (laughs) where you have like strings going everywhere or something like that. But it really is important to have that entire context to, you know, it just, it, yeah, just makes it it helps it make more sense. Yeah. Like I, I think that one of the main keys, at least for the, I mean, everybody knows the interpretive grid I approach revelation with at this point, but, but one of the, key tenets of that tenant movie we saw recently by the way oh wow oh yeah are we going to talk about, about that movie time? sometime yeah we, we're going to have to do a, a tenant Woo. episode that's that's a whole episode in itself <laughs> i went back and watched i've been trying to watch some christopher nolan that yeah. uh, i haven't seen before and so i just watched memento for oh, the first man. time memento oh. is really good yeah i really enjoyed it sorry yeah. i'm not meaning a sidetrack <laughs> next week on the podcast <laughs> <laughs> what is time <laughs> It fits. We're talking about time. We'll see you then. Numbers. Um. Yeah. So, anyway, I forgot what I was about to <laughs> I <don't> say. <laughs> I don't know anymore. You were talking about know. your approach to the Book of Revelation. Oh, Many people oh, know yeah. your approach approach to the Book of Revelation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just I think that one of the most important interpretive princi- principles is that when we look at the symbolism in Revelation, in order to try and figure out what's going on, we don't go to the future to try and interpret the symbolism, we go to the Old Testament. Mm. And that the Old Testament actually really becomes our guide yeah. for what's going on. And the I, I shared this with both of you guys uh, just over the past a couple of weeks. The amount of cross-references, the amount of allusions that John is making, or we could say God in this vision is making mm-hmm. to the Old Testament, it it's supernatural. I do not see how a human author could do what's being done here. Like I just mm-hmm. I just don't. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um it it blows my mind week after week. Yeah, yeah. So how would you encourage people to go back to the I mean you kind of just alluded to it. So this not might not be a good question, but why would you encourage people? It seems like the tendency for so many interpreters is to go forward to the future. Why would you encourage people to go back to the Old Testament? Why do you think that's a better way of doing that? 
Yeah, well, I mean, one, I think that if if you loose yourself completely from the Old Testament in order to try and interpret Revelation, then you're playing a speculation game. Mm. Like, and it can just kind of go all over the place. Like, it really, at this point, we're just guessing. Like, I, like our, our decisions aren't really rooted. Because you're just trying to interpret the symbolism? Yeah, or, oh. yeah our, and our decisions aren't really rooted in anything. Or if we're going to say that they're rooted in something, basically we've got to try to map Revelation onto our view of world history somehow Mm. and nobody agrees about how to do that yeah and so even at that point when you're trying to say well my view of the symbols is rooted in where i think these things are being fulfilled through history like there's still a subjective nature to that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which which if you go back and listen to the first podcast episode we did midweek episode about revelation we talk about why that is Mm -hmm. the different in the different approaches um but so so for that reason, and then and then the other reason I would say is that Revelation is not alone in what it's doing right here. I would say the whole of the New Testament does this. I mean, you start the New Testament in the Gospel of Matthew, and Matthew is just consistently going, saying, and thus the scripture was fulfilled, and thus the scripture was fulfilled, or he's quoting an Old Testament passage and saying, mm. and so Jesus fulfilled it. Like the New Testament authors, uh, I, the New Testament is virtually a Christian lens being handed to you so that you can read the Old Testament. Hmm. You know, and I mean, they, they, they interpret one another, right? Hmm. And so uh, I just, and it, it is, it's undeniable the amount of Old Testament imagery that is appearing again and again yeah. and again in Revelation. So, yeah, yeah. so for instance, the very next thing I was going to talk about, the second thing, I think is a really great example of that. Cool. So again, staying with this angel, uh, when you get to verse two of chapter 10, it says he had a little scroll open in his hand and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And then if you read a few verses down, he's going to raise his hand to heaven to, to swear an oath. It would be impossible for anyone familiar with the Old Testament, especially with the book of Daniel, to read this and not go, that's Daniel 12. Hmm. Like, this is like a mere, it's like the vision of Daniel 12 is almost happening again. Because there, you get Daniel uh, with these angelic type figures standing on either side of a body of water, so on the land, and another one that's hovering above the waters who lifts his hands to heaven and swears an oath. Hmm. I mean, it's just mirror image. And if you go back to Daniel 12, it's verses 5 through 10, um, what's being discussed there is Daniel uh, is is basically asking, like, all of these things that I've seen, when are they going to come to pass? And the closest thing you get to an answer is a time, times, and half a time, like after the shattering of the holy people. So basically, you're going to have this period of time in which the people of God are going to be persecuted, and then the end will come. And, and, And Daniel presses the issue. And basically it's told, book sealed up, Daniel. Go your way. This is mm. sealed up until the time of the end. And and basically Daniel gets told there's going to be a delay. Uh, and it's it's a unspecified amount of time for Daniel. Hmm. Well, when we get to this vision right here, this angel virtually does the opposite. Whereas Daniel's angel said, hey, the book's sealed up. This angel has a book that's unsealed. Whereas Daniel's angel basically said, hey, this thing's going to be delayed until the shattering of the holy people. Our angel here in Revelation basically says, hey, that time, the church age, when the people of God are going to be persecuted, is mm-hmm. happening, and there is going to be no more delay. I'm going to show you what it's going to look like now when the kingdom of God comes, when this all ends. Mm. So, I mean, it's just 
like you can't understand what's going on in Revelation 10 without Daniel 12. It's just impossible. And yeah. Revelation just does that again and again and mm-hmm. again and again. Yeah. I'm running through this really fast, so please feel free to, to <laughs> press me on anything and say, like, that didn't make sense. I didn't quite make that connection. No, that no, that was really beautiful. So what do you think um, the significance of understanding Daniel 12 has on for interpreting uh, this In Revelation Yeah, yeah, this, this text. Yeah, I mean, I think that basically, you know, I would make the argument that what Daniel foresees in many different places, not in all of them, um, but in many different places, uh, he's being given little bitty bits about uh, the church age, uh, about the time of which, you know, after the Messiah comes, the people of God are going to be persecuted before the Messiah comes again. And I don't think he can see that with his mm. frame of reference at all, that that's exactly what that's about. In fact, he says that in multiple places. I, I, I don't understand. I don't get what's being said. Um, But I think that's the general picture he's getting uh, in a lot of different places. But I think what he's told in Daniel 12 at the end is like that time. So what I mean by that is the church age is not yet. And you're not, these visions I'm giving you are not going to be able to be understood until that time, AKA the church age until after the Messiah has come. Uh, And so what I think we're getting here in revelation is now you can understand the vision. Now the, the angel here is like, all right, now it's time to open this scroll that was sealed up for Daniel. Now you can understand we are in this period of church of the church age where the people of God are being oppressed, and I can show you how God's kingdom is going to come in the most surprising of ways, and it's going to be spread through his suffering people until Christ returns. Mm. And And so I think that that's what you're getting unpacked. What Daniel couldn't understand, because the Messiah hadn't come, the church, the, church hadn't been born after the messiah's coming all of that like now we're in a position to be able to see how god's plan is unfolding and and the church now needs to hear this word yeah so that they will be able because the word is meant to empower them encourage them and empower them to persevere throughout the entirety of the church age bearing witness to the gospel of jesus yes well and for me on on sunday as i was reflecting on your words it was just such a sobering moment for me Yes, the gospel is going to advance, and it's going to do so through the persecution and the suffering of the church. I mean, to to meditate on that, to see that as um, our future as the church and our calling, and yet to um, contemplate what God is going to do through that, it's it's encouraging, but it is it's a hard word, right? <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a sweet and bitter word, isn't it? Yeah, like, just like we see in the text. Ah, did yeah. you say that on Sunday? Yeah, yeah, we talked yeah, about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. It's, I thought it's, so. Yeah, it's sweet and bitter. Ultimately sweet, but it has a bitter edge to it for sure. Yeah. Um. And and it is our future. It's also our past. It's also our present. Like, there's never a time from if you if you talk about the church global, there's mm. never been a time where the church has been completely at peace. There's never been a time where the church hasn't been experiencing persecution and people haven't been dying for their faith. Sure, there's been times in certain areas, but history would also testify that the church advances the most under persecution Mm. and that we actually become the most um, apathetic or uh, compromised during times of quote unquote peace. Yeah. You know, and uh and I think that that bears out in our own present moment as well. We see the church advancing, thriving where 
where it's being opposed and oppressed mm. and in places where it's been mostly at peace um the 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 church is quote unquote dying um but mm. the gates of hell will not prevail against it there either so yeah. yeah that's so interesting to think about the book of revelation pushing us as the american church to have a global view of the church <laughs> and to have a global perspective and to kind of get outside of ourselves yeah, absolutely. I mean, the book of Revelation is constantly calling us to view. I mean, it's ca- it's calling the church, uh, the seven churches in Asia Minor, to view the church global. Like, this yeah. is about people from every tribe, every nation, every tongue. You know, this is about you, churches in Asia Minor, but it's bigger than that. Yeah. And yeah. same thing for us. This is about us, but it's bigger than that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's about the church global and about the church throughout time, which we made the argument very early on, that's why John writes to seven churches. Mm. There's more than seven churches in Asia Minor. Right, right. But he writes to seven because seven is symbolic of completion. It's symbolic of this is, yes, I'm talking to these real, literal seven churches right here, but this is also for the church throughout all time and throughout all generations. Mm. Yeah, it's beautiful. All right, so... So what's, behind, th- <laughs> what's behind door number three, Jonathan? So our third one, the one that <laughs> those first two are going to be quick, right? <laughs> our, our producer is going to start looking at me here in just a second. Gosh, and like, we're, okay. we're going too long. He's just um, going to start cutting stuff. Yeah. Right? The so, director's cut's going to get gonna cut. Make no <laughs> sense. It's not going to make any sense. Um, so the, the third one uh, right here is one that people uh, get hung up on a lot, and I basically made very few comments about it on Sunday and kind of promised more in the future, which... I will do more on this in the future, but we're never going to have the time to do what I'm about to try to do right now. Oh, man. So <laughs> so in verse in chapter 11, I mentioned it just a second ago. In chapter 11, in verse 2, we are given a time period in which we're told the people of God are going to suffer, and it's 42 months. Then we're given another time period in the very next verse in which the church is not just going to suffer, but it's going to prophesy, testify, and that's 1,260 days. And we're given another time period in verse number nine uh, on which the church is going to suffer all the way to the point of death for three and a half days. And then if you go over to chapter 12, we get another time period in verse 14 in which the church is going to be nourished while being persecuted. And it says that it is for a time and times and half a time. Uh 12, 14, uh, chapter 12, verse 14, that's the only time that time, times, and half a time is mentioned. All the other ones get mentioned twice. We're going to see 42 months again. We're going to see 1,260 days again. Um, oh, and the three and a half days is only mentioned once. But all I made the point on Sunday, all of those things come out to some version of three and a half. And that that's really coming out of the book of Daniel, uh, that that idea of three and a half. It comes from a couple of different places in Daniel, and it's it's it's... It is referring to the same thing always in Daniel, but also not. Mm. And what I mean by that is if you look at Daniel 7 and verse 25, it talks about this time period, Daniel chapter 12 and verse 7. And then the one we're going to look at in detail is Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 to 27. Um, and what I mean by these are all referring to the same time period is they are all referring to periods in which the people of God experience persecution and are mm. told to persevere and hang on and be faithful. People have different interpretations about different time periods these things are referring to. Um, it, it can get, some people think it's referring to things that happened during uh, the Greek Empire 
uh, and some persecution that goes on. Some people think it's referring to things that happened during the Roman Empire, persecution that goes on. There's a sense in which everybody's a little bit right. Because when you start looking at the visions in Daniel and you start trying to map them onto history, especially if you start trying to get extremely literal with numbers, with time periods, no scenario maps perfectly. Mm. They, they just don't. you got to start like shoehorning stuff to, to get it to fit. And, and I think that part of the reason for that is apocalyptic literature, one, is symbolic and it's symbolic too with its numbers, um, and and also apocalyptic literature often has multiple fulfillments because it gives us patterns, patterns of things that occur throughout history. So it makes sense that we would see fulfillments in the oppression of God's people by the Greeks, the oppression of God's people by the Romans, the oppression of God's people now in persecution, the mm. oppression of God's people in the future. So, so anyway, all of that to say, three and a half, that figure comes out of Daniel and consistently refers to a period of time in which the people of God experienced persecution. Now, what I wanted to do is go to the place where most people go to get really literal with these numbers that ultimately ends up in them talking about the most stereotypical way of taking things very literal in Revelation, which is a seven-year tribulation period. All right, here we go. He said it. <laughs> I did. It's out there. We all grew up in circles where Revelation was primarily about the future, and it was about this future that was going to take place uh, after the church was raptured and off the scene. There was going to be this seven-year period in which you would have the rise of this Antichrist figure, this right. beastly figure. And for three and a half years, the first three and a half years, there'd be like peace and but then all heck would break loose yep. for the second three and a half years. And then once the seven was totally completed, Jesus would return. Mm-hmm. Well, you can see already in just chapter 11 how people can start getting to that conclusion. If you, if you think of the 42 months as a three and a half year period and then you think of the 1260 days as a consecutive three and a half year period. Well, mm. all right. Uh, we got seven years going on right here. So this is a major text for that view. Yeah, a major text for that view, and, and so will other ones coming up. And you, you, you got to do some finagling with these things because, like I said, 42 months is going to get mentioned again, 1260 is going to get mentioned again, time, times, and half a time. Like, if, if you just take mm-hmm. all of those and add them up like they're different time periods, we're going to end up more with, like, 17 and a half years or something. Like, yep. yeah, yeah. I never heard that. Yeah, <laughs> you, you, you got to start putting these things together in some way. But I'm obviously making the argument that they all refer to the same time period, the church age. What I want us to do is go back to Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 to 27, to really get to the primary text where a lot of this is rooted. So in Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 to 27, we get a passage that's known as the 70 weeks. And I'm just going to read the passage, and then we'll walk through it a little bit here. Um, So this is an answer to a prayer that Daniel has been praying in chapter 9. And so here's the answer he gets told. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to uh, to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both the vision and the prophet, and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore... And understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, 
a, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks, it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with the flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Yes. It's pretty straightforward. <laughs> I don't think you need to really go any much more than that. Right, right. That's it. Enough said. Okay. So the first thing that we've got to have here is the context of what's going on. Yeah, what's right? going on? So Daniel. Context, yeah. Yeah. So, so we are roughly in the year 538 BC. And that's important because what that means is Babylon has just fallen to the Persian Empire. So Daniel and his fellow Jews uh, were taken captive in 605 BC by the Babylonian Empire and taken away into exile. That's where Daniel's been living. Uh, And the prophet Jeremiah told the exiles, hey, listen, uh, God says y'all are going to be there for 70 years. Uh, He says this because there were false prophets telling the exiles, hey, you're not going to be in exile that long. It's only going to last a couple of years. Don't put down roots. And Jeremiah's like, nope, that's not what God says. You're going to be there for 70 years. Thanks, then, Jer- thanks Jeremiah. Yeah, yeah. He was very popular. Um, <laughs> then, uh, then Babylon will fall. Then you'll return home. Well, Babylon has fallen. And it, and five uh, from 605 BC to 538, that's 66 years. So we're really close to a 70-year mark. And so Daniel is basically praying at this point, going, hey, Babylon's fallen. God, are, are you going to keep the promise? Are you going to keep your covenant? Or are we going to come home? And this is the answer he gets. Seventy weeks are declared about your people. Seventy weeks. All right. The actual, if we want to get really literal, the term weeks right there just refers to a unit of seven. So in other words, 70 sevens are declared about your people. 490. And this is not referring to weeks. This is referring to years. Everybody's in agreement upon that because this is a play on the 70 years they were supposed to spend in Babylon. So basically what God is saying to Daniel is, yeah, not 70 years, 70 times seven years. Mm -hmm. What he's saying to Daniel is, you all haven't repented. You haven't turned. Exile is actually about to last a lot longer than you think. And 490 years if you do the math. So what happens right here is this is where uh, some people start getting really, really literal. And they say, okay, exile is going to go on for 490 more years. And then if we keep reading through the passage, they go, well, what, what starts the countdown on that 490 years? Well, they'll say it's from the time that Jerusalem is going to be rebuilt. Verse 25, understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem, like that that's when from that time into the coming of the 91 and into the coming of the anointed one there's going to be 7 weeks and 62 weeks so in other words 69 of these 7 year periods are going to pass from the time it's declared to rebuild Jerusalem until an anointed one comes well so what people will do is they'll say well this has got to be in reference to when Nehemiah goes to rebuild 
uh, Jerusalem, the wall, mm-hmm. especially the wall of Jerusalem, uh, which is in 444 BC, something like that. I don't have the number in front of me. Forgive me. But so if you do the calculations, basically, from there, you roughly get them ending in like 32-ish AD, something like that. A, a date that people, people that get really hardcore about this will like work it out down to the day. Like mm. they'll tell you the day and, the, and they'll be like, and this was the crucifixion of Christ. Ah. You know, so they'll say from the time Nehemiah starts rebuilding until the time that an anointed one, Jesus, is cut off, there's going to be this 69 weeks in it. And it just, it works out perfectly. Ah. Well, that leaves us with one week, right? Mm-hmm. That leaves us with seven more years. Okay, so what happens then? So do 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 do. Where are we? Verse twenty. Yep. That, that, that. After the sixty-two weeks plus seven, there were seven mentioned first, so sixty-nine total. An anointed one shall be cut off and have nothing, and the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Now, everyone is in agreement that that refers to when the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. Okay, so you, mm-hmm. two events are going to happen, according to this very literal interpretation view, between week 69 and week number 70. Jesus is going to die, and the temple is going to be destroyed. All right, And then what they're going to say is, we have a gap until week number 70 comes, and we don't know how long that gap is. All right, Those two events have occurred, and we're waiting for everything else to happen. Mm-hmm. And so their argument, the people of the prince who is to come that destroy the city and all that, that's, that's an, uh, they're going to say the prince who is to come is the Antichrist figure for the future. And because these people uh, act satanically, which it's the Roman armies, uh, it's the Roman armies of, of the gen- Roman general Titus that destroy the temple, they're going to say, well, they're figuratively being spoken of as the people of the Antichrist because they act like an Antichrist, you know, like the Antichrist will, opposing the people of God. But so... Basically, uh, you have a gap until we get to verse 27. And he shall make a strong covenant. So they're going to say that refers to the prince who is to come. So the Antichrist. He shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. So an Antichrist figure is going to show up in the future. And he's going to make a strong covenant. They're going to say with the nation of Israel for one week, so for seven years, and he's going to keep it for half the for half of that, for three and a half years. Because then it says, and for half of the week, he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. So when you get to the halfway point of that seven years, he's going to turn bad on his covenant deal, and he's going to destroy the temple. And that's what it goes on to say. And on the wing of abominations shall come the one who makes desolate. He's going to make the tem- temple desolate uh, until... The decreed end is poured out on the desolator until the end of the seven-year period and Jesus returns. So mm. that's the basic scheme of taking this really literally, uh, is that it is very much a literal 490 years, and 483 of that transpired between Nehemiah and the sacrifice of Jesus, and now we just are waiting for the Antichrist to show up, and that will usher in the last seven-year period. So, wow. Yeah. So, Are you in- still with me? <laughs> Yeah, and I mean that's kind of what the Left Behind series plays out. Like it tries to imagine. I've been, that, I've been drawing. Right? I've been drawing it on the wall for everybody who who can't right. see. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but yeah, yeah, right. I mean, it it kind of envisions. Okay, what could this be like? Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a fictionalized version of of what an example of that kind of future could look like. Right. Yes. But that's where 
ultimately the the interpretive framework this is where the framework for interpreting the numbers in revelation comes from is mm. from taking this passage that way and then that leads you to do the math to make that work in revelation so daniel 9 is huge i mean as we just oh, saw absolutely. Like for this, understanding that perspective yeah yeah it it that that perspective stands or falls with daniel 9 in mm. in my opinion yeah uh, absolutely stands or falls with daniel 9 so I'm going to tell you what I think is going on <laughs> in Daniel chapter 9. You can take it, pray about it, weigh it, and and then you know we, we can talk about it if you want. So, All right, let's go. Uh, I would say that this is not a literal 490 years here. And I would start with that by talking about the 70 years of the Babylonian exile. So remember I said, Jeremiah says, hey, y'all are going to be there for 70 years? Mm-hmm. Well, it doesn't matter which way you spin it, which way you count the numbers. They weren't there for 70 years. They Mm. were there for 66. So did the Mm. word of God fail? Was that supposed to be absolutely literal 70 years? Yeah, what's going on? I I don't think so at all. Because 70 is a rough ancient estimate for a lifespan. I mean, just go read Psalm 90 and verse 10, and it says 70 years are the years of our life. 80, if if we had, if we're given extra strength, basically, mm. for it. it. It was a shorthand way of talking about a lifespan. So when, when God says through the prophet Jeremiah, you're not going to be there for two years, you're going to be there for 70, what he's saying is you're going to be there for a lifetime. Uh. Settle down. Put down roots. He's not saying get out your calendars and count down the 70 years. Mm-hmm. You're going to be there for a lifetime. Um, and that's that's on face value just on the fact that they're they're not there. They're there from 605 BC to 538 6 6 excuse me 66 years. So, I think that if the 70 years of Jeremiah weren't meant to be countdown on a calendar, I think that's a pretty good indicator probably coming up that the 490 we're about to get aren't meant to be countdown on a calendar. Ah. Uh. Not only that, but uh I told you that people who who want to make it that literal, they've got to say, well, the point at which you begin your countdown is when Nehemiah starts to rebuild the city in 444 B.C. So Daniel's answer to his prayer, God says, I'm declaring 70 weeks for you, 77s. God says that to Daniel in 538 B.C. The countdown on that doesn't actually begin until 444 BC, like well after Daniel's death. That doesn't make any sense to me as an answer to prayer, Hmm. to Daniel's prayer. Daniel's praying, God, 70 years are up. Are we going home? And he's like, nope, it's going to be 70 times seven. In my mind, that only makes sense to say, no, we're starting over a new time period right now. At this moment, Daniel, we're starting a new time period. And it's it's the 70 weeks. It's 70 times 7. And I think that that becomes even clearer because we are given specifics on when this time period is supposed to start. Uh, know, therefore, and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of the anointed one. So, in other words, Daniel, the moment the word goes out to restore and build Jerusalem, that's when this new time period I'm talking about starts. That decree goes out that year, 538 B.C. It is the decree of Cyrus. And Mm. all of the Jews see the decree of Cyrus as the end 
of Jeremiah's 70 years. Hmm. Uh, so here you go at the end of Second uh, Chronicles, uh, chapter 36. Uh, I'm just going to read do, 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 verse 20. He took into exile in Babylon those who had escaped from the sword, and they became servants to him and to his sons until the establishment of the kingdom of Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. All the days that it lay desolate, it kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. Now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation. Basically, you can go back home. You can rebuild the temple. Mm. And so it just it just fits. It fits perfectly. The time of Jeremiah's prediction of how long you're going to be in exile, that's over. And there's a decree. You can go back home and rebuild the city. But, Daniel, that's not actually the return from exile. It's actually mm. going to be much longer. Well, so if mm. I'm right about that, and, and this is not my sole opinion. There's obviously lots, uh, lots of other people that fall into this camp, which I just think it's really explicit. Mm. If I'm right, if you take 490 literal years from 538 B.C., you obviously do not arrive at the coming of the anointed one, Jesus Christ. Ah, uh, it's not so clean. Yeah, it's not clean at all. And I definitely think the coming of the of the anointed one is Jesus. Mm-hmm. So I think Daniel's 70 weeks begin with the decree of Cyrus in 538, and then we're basically told 69 of those weeks are going to pass, symbolically, are going to pass between 538 and the coming of the anointed one, or the cutting off of the anointed one, Christ. Mm. And I don't think there is a gap between that 69th week and the beginning of the 70th week. I don't think there's a gap in any of this timeline at all. So, like, I don't think you can say the 69 weeks are complete, and now we're, we live in this major gap period, and we're waiting on that future 70th week to arrive. Mm. I think that the text is actually pretty clear that that, that uh, seventh week starts with the coming of Christ. Hmm. So, after the 62 weeks, which, remember, it's actually 69, I'll I'll talk about why in just a second. It says seven, and then it adds sixty-two more to it um, to get sixty-nine. But but after the sixty-two weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and have nothing. After the sixty-two weeks, so we are in week number seventy. He's cut off and shall have nothing. And what's also going to happen during that seventieth week? The people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. I think that's a direct reference to the com- the prince who is to come. I think that's the Roman general Titus, and I think it's a direct reference to the destruction of the temple in the year 70 AD. So I think that both of those things are happening right in the middle of week number 70. Mm. Where and- the previous view saw it as referring to a coming of an antichrist. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So I, I think that this is happening right in the middle of week number 70, and I think that because I think the very next verse, verse 27, I think verse 26 and verse 27 are parallel to one another. In other words, I think they say the same thing twice in two different ways. So follow with me. The first half of verse 26 says, after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. I think that's parallel to the first half of verse 27. 
and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, and for half the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. I think both of those things are references to Jesus. Jesus is going to come. He's going to be cut off. He's going to be sacrificed. And what that is going to do is that is going to put into an effect a strong covenant, which actually, if you want to get really literal right there, that, that, that means a covenant that he causes to prevail. Mm. Like Jesus is going to be sacrificed, and his sacrifice is going to cause a covenant, we would call it the new covenant, to prevail. And he will put an end to sacrifice for half the week. So the sacrificial system will no longer be needed. And then I think the second half of verse 26 and the second half of verse 27 parallel one another. Uh, and the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with the flood, and to that end there shall be war and desolations. I think that's parallel to the second half of verse 27. And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. So what I think we have being said to us right here, if I can try to give you the big picture, is I think what we have being said is Daniel... 70 weeks that Jeremiah prophesied are at a conclusion, but you're not really returning from exile yet. Yes, there's a decree going out from Cyrus, but that's not the fulfillment of everything I've said about this return from exile, the rebuilding of the temple. That's not the fulfillment. You're actually going to continue to be in exile. For how long? From the time the decree of Cyrus goes out until the coming of anointed one, which is Christ. Mm. So when Christ comes, we enter into week 70. All right, the last symbolic period. We enter into week 70, and for the first half of the week, he does his ministry and all that, and at the midpoint, he is cut off, he's sacrificed. That puts an end to the sacrificial system. Therefore, we get the coming of the Roman general Titus, who destroys the temple to show quite literally by God's hand there has been an end to this sacrificial system. And now all we have left is the second half of that week, the second half of the 70th week. So we've got three and a half left. And that is what Revelation picks up to say this is the church age. Three and a half, three and a half, three and a half. Does that make sense? Mm. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So that means I've only got one piece left that I haven't said, that I haven't explained. And that's why 490, why 77s? If it's not a literal time period, then why choose that specific numerical combination? Uh, what, what does that symbolically mean? Because I'm making mm-hmm. an argument that, that that it's theological. It's making a theological point. Yes. Well, again, going back to Jeremiah and the original 70 years of the exile, that was making a theological point. You may have noticed when I read the end of uh, Second Chronicles there, it talked about the land being given its Sabbaths. Well, God had always told the people, if you go into this promised land I'm giving you and you don't follow my law, I'm going to send you into exile so that the land may enjoy its Sabbaths that it's supposed to have. The people were supposed to give the land a Sabbath every seven years. Mm. Every seven years, there was supposed to be a sabbatical year in which you gave the land its Sabbaths. And if they didn't obey the law, he's like, I'll take you out of there and I'll give the land its Sabbaths. And he does. Mm. Seventy Sabbaths. It's, it's a way of saying, I am going to give the land the perfect rest that it needs and that it, and the, because you haven't followed my law. Mm. So already preloaded into the 70 years is Sabbath theology, right? 
So now when we get to the 70 weeks or 77s, I think, again, we've got preloaded Sabbath theology. Because not only were they supposed to give the land a rest every seven years, but every seven, seven years, so so every 49 years. (laughs) Do you get what I'm saying? Yes. Every 49 years. Um, you know, when you when you reach the uh, the sabbatical year for the seventh time, that was a year of jubilee. Hmm. And in the year of jubilee, it wasn't just that the land got a rest; it was the undoing of all debts, it was the releasing of all slaves, it was it was a reset, it was a new beginning, and because of that that got picked up very quickly as a picture, as a foretaste of what God would do in the age to come. All debts gone, all slaves released, all justice perfectly executed, a new and fresh beginning, a new creation. Mm. Well, 70 times 7 is 490. It is 10 Mm. jubilees. It is an intensification of jubilee theology. In other words, what's being said symbolically is once this Messiah has come, once he's died, and once this church age has been completed and he comes again at the end of the 70th week, it will be to usher in the ultimate, full, and final jubilee. Mm. And that's why I think that you have this exact time period, this exact figure being, being used here. It has a theological meaning. Mm. Its, its primary purpose is not... To, to, to be mapped onto a calendar, its primary purpose is to communicate something theologically, which is what we see again and again with all of the numbers through our revelation. And now that we've done like a two-hour episode <laughs> of this thing, and no one's listening anymore, but there it is for those who want it. Um, wow. And, and now you understand why we couldn't talk about that on Sunday. <laughs> yeah, I don't understand why you couldn't just walk, you know, walk through that on Sunday morning. It would have been fine. I mean, number one, I feel like I've been explained to Christopher Nolan plot just now. <laughs> number two, how awesome does that Jubilee thing sound? Let's get that going again, <laughs> right? We need to reset our debts. Just like have a clean reset, especially after 2020, man. Well, Let's well, just like. <laughs> you know what's crazy is that um, so you can go back. If you want to read more about uh, the year of Jubilee and mm. all of that, it's, uh, it's Leviticus. Oh, man, where is it? I have it written down in my notes right here. It's Leviticus 25, uh, where you can go read about it. But what's interesting is that, to our knowledge, the Jews never observed it. Mm. Like God instituted it, and to our knowledge, they never observed it. And and this mm. is one of the reasons that, you know, one of the ways they were breaking the law that, that led to their exile in the first place. Um, but but it's, it's this projection of what God will do uh, in... In the age to come. And really yeah. interestingly, last thing I'll say right here, Isaiah prophesies in uh, Isaiah 61 that when the Messiah comes, he will announce the year of the Lord's favor. He will announce the Jubilee. And Jesus, in Luke chapter 4, walks into a synagogue and unrolls a scroll to Isaiah 61 reads that passage and says, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, mm. I'm coming, I'm inaugurating, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, the the full and final last jubilee. It's not going to be consummated till he returns, but I'm inaugurating it. Mm. So, Wow. Yeah. 
Well, it's fun stuff. Yeah, I mean, one, I'm a little frustrated with the amount of math that we have done during this podcast. <laughs> if someone can add up all the numbers that Jonathan has said, uh, you will get a prize. You can name the studio. Just give How us a that? total. You can yes, make something up. We won't even count. know if you're telling the truth. None <laughs> of us are going to do it. But I mean, to 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 hear you walk through all of that and to talk about the numbers in a way that is so different from growing up how I heard the numbers talked about is mm. it's so encouraging. I mean, it's so rich. Yeah. I mean, it's like getting together and watching a movie and they're just being more layers and more layers and more layers and more layers. And you see all these themes coming up. And so to yeah. see all these themes about Sabbath and new creation and to see all of this imagery pointing to Christ and what he's done and what he will do. I mean, that um, that encourages my faith, that empowers me to live, and it's a very different than kind of giving some vague, um, very speculative discussion about what could happen at the end of time. So mm-hmm. that was very that was very encouraging to to hear. Yeah. Well, I, I'm thankful, and and the last thing that I would say. For anybody that's listening, like if you felt lost in any of that, confused in any of that, you're human. Well, yeah, not not just are you human, <laughs> but I would say get the big takeaway of what's yes. being communicated through all of the numbers. And I would say what is being communicated is that God has sent His Son to lead us out of ultimate exile, our exile and sin, to lead us out of that, and He has promised that yes. We are going to go through suffering in this life, but that has a definite end. It's limited. Mm. And at the end of which, Christ will return. He will make all things new. He will usher in the ultimate year of Jubilee, and yeah. all wrongs will be made right. That's that's what the numbers are communicating. Mm-hmm. Christ has come. Yes, suffering is here, but it's limited, and it will end. Jubilee will come. Wow. Absolutely beautiful. All right. Well, I think that we can conclude this episode and say uh, this has been another episode of Shades Midweek. Yes. If you have any questions, please email midweek at shadesvalley.org. We would love to hear your thoughts and uh, dialogue with you. Thanks for listening. This has been another episode of Shades Midweek.